Hi, and welcome to a special episode of Sepad Pod. Today, I'm joined by Edward Eddie Wasnage, and I'm really, really looking forward to our chat today. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. We're here to talk about our new edited collection, Saudi Arabia and Iran, the struggle to shape the Middle East. And as always, I must thank you for all of your efforts. It's been a pleasure working with you, as always. Um, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, to talk about this new volume of ours. Um, it, you know, it's been a while since I've been on one of these podcasts as well, so it's uh, very nice to come back. And chat yeah, it has. Yeah. It has long overdue. So a good excuse to uh, to get you back on the on the podcast and and talk about this this new collection, which is um, something that that has its roots back many moons ago, actually. Um, it's it's something that came out of that very very first report that we did with Zepad back in 2018. Is that right? That's right. 2018. About about this time in 2018, it was it was in the autumn. Yeah, we, we launched it at the uh, Palace of Westminster um, with a great audience there in, in one of the rooms just off the the main halls. And it was yeah, it was, a, it was a great great event. And it's just nice to be here. I mean, four years later, small. Uh, global uh, issue of uh, pandemic kind of got in the way and maybe delayed things slightly, but just a little bit. Know, yeah, uh, we got there. <laughs> just a little bit. I dread yeah. to think how many of our contributors went through the COVID nightmare and struggled uh, through it. I mean, I know you suffered, I've suffered, and I know many others yeah. have had it. So I wonder if there's yeah, actually more cases of COVID than there are chapters in the book. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah, somewhat disconcerting. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we, we digress. Eddie, what's the what's the point of the book? Why are we why are we doing it? Why is it such an important volume? It's obviously coming out with, with Manchester University Press, it's out in hardback and it's coming out in open access. But why do people need to read it, do you think? Well, apart from, you know, uh, it being a riveting and fascinating read, which, of course, you know, all of our colleagues and dear friends will love to support, um, it, it is, you know, it's a, it's always going to be an interesting rivalry or, or relationship, you know, depending on what time you're looking at, um, uh, in, in, in the region, you know. And, and so I think any any scholars who are interested in, in, in the broader politics and international relations of the Middle East are, are bound to be interested in what's going on between Saudi and uh, Saudi Arabia and and Iran at, at any time. And, you know, it, what's really, what we found in, in putting the volume together and the contributions that we had in the, you know, in the workshop we had building up to it and the launch of the, the report which fed into this was that this is something that, you know, does, vary does change dependent on you know different contingencies of time and space which we touch upon in our introductory and concluding chapters um and so it was really a, a you know a good chance to see the the different uh, dynamics the different spatial manifestations the different uh, temporal you know dimensions um how that's changed and, and, and shaped that relationship so yeah obviously big global events uh, have happened, which have impacted on the relationship as well. If you think about, you know, the Arab uprisings, and, and what this book really focuses on is that is that period post Arab uprisings. Although, you know, there is some, some um, deeper historical contextualization in there, which is important. But it, it's really in that period, you know, of, of the last sort of uh, ten years or so, 
yeah. where, where the relationship has become, uh, you know, uh, the rivalry uh, side of that relationship has, has perhaps become more prominent. So, yeah, it's really a, a chance to understand the different dynamics of play and how this is manifested in, in different different states in the region as well. And, and, and also how it's perceived to be in each country as well, which is something that sometimes gets forgotten in, in discussions about proxy conflict and things like that, which is, you know, a term that we obviously like to problematize a little <laughs> bit. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really getting you know, an overview of, of how that rivalry manifests in different spaces. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And before going into those contingencies and complexities a little bit, you, you said something really interesting when you were describing why it was important. And you talked about this this um, relationship or rivalry. And I thought that was a really, really good way of putting it. Because when I read stuff about this, this rivalry, and I've been, or this relationship, I should say, um, I've been <laughs> doing work on this for goodness what, 15 years now? And Mm -hmm. it's always framed in terms of a rivalry. It's always termed in terms of like two belligerent states that are subscribing to different strands of Islam, different sectarian communities, different geopolitical aspirations. And as a consequence, it's kind of fixed and static and, Mm -hmm. and fractious, right? It's fraught. Yeah. And it's always viewed as a rivalry. But I think that misses a lot of the complexity of, of what's actually going on. And that relationship or rivalry point's really interesting. Can you say a little bit more about it, please, Eddie? Is there anything you want to <laughs> add there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's interesting that we hear from that. And I think I mean, partly this is me just, you know, trying to be a bit more of an optimist, you know, <laughs> in, 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 the, in, the, in the heated and, and, and fractious world of international relations, particularly in the region, particularly between, you know, um, you know important powers. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, it, it is too easy just to, just to take a more of, um, you know, a slightly more sensationalist line, if I, if I could be so bold as to say that. And, and, and actually, you know, it is, um, you know, there have been points. Uh, in, in the relationship where, where, where things haven't been so fractious. Um, and there's always, you know, there's always people on, on both sides, you know, within both states that, that are looking to, um, you know, looking to, to, to make um, diplomatic overtures and inroads with each other, even at, you know, um, times when, when the relationship's very bad. So, yeah, I think, I think partly it's me, me trying to <laughs> have an optimistic slant on it, but also to, yeah, to, to allude to that. That that this is you know a dynamic relationship. That, that yes, absolutely, it, it, you know it can be seen in terms of of rivalry for all of them. You know, but reasons that we'll we'll discuss, I guess, and, and that we've mentioned so far. But you know that there are um, areas we hope where where things can can improve and and you know rapprochement might be might be possible. So that's the sort of optimistic note we end on. Um, but there's a lot more to say before we get to that point, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, it might be worth uh, just giving a quick plug to the piece written by Iyad and Samira at this point, mm, given the, the the various people, as you say, in, in both states who are making overtures and are keen to, to reach out and suggest that maybe working together, if not necessarily a full mm-hmm. diplomatic rapprochement, is in the benefit of, of both states. And this is a, a really, really amazing piece written by um, a former PhD student of mine, Dr. Samira Nazirzadeh, a collaborator of yours, Eddie, as well. Um, yeah, indeed, yeah. And a PhD student of mine, Iyad al-Rafai. Um, Samira is from Iran, Iyad from Saudi Arabia. And the two of them wrote this amazing piece that actually set out political and economic reasons why the two actually should work together towards improving um, relations and and improving the nature of, of Gulf politics, suggesting that, well, there's actually a lot of benefit 
for the two states, given yeah. where they want to uh, where they want to go in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So yeah, I thought that yeah, was quite an exciting piece. thing, and it it speaks to what you've just been saying there that we shouldn't view all of this as static. We certainly shouldn't view it all as as monolithic, um, mm. as we're we're seeing in Iran right now, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. There, there, there's, there, there's, you know, many, many different angles you can look at this, this at, um, and, and, and from. I mean, and, and that's the interesting thing. I mean, it's one one thing that we we, we set out um, in 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 the introductory chapter to this volume is is the different ways, I guess, in in which this library slash relationship um, or set of relationships, even if we want to complexify this <laughs> yeah. further, how how they, you know how they've been um, analysed, how they've been assessed by by different scholars. And I know that's something you you know, um, have, have, have you know worked on, and, and you've identified quite quite clearly in our introduction about the different uh, perspectives and ways of viewing this this relationship. You know, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, so, so I'm throwing a question back at you there. So that's a terrible podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is a conversation, right? Yeah, it's a conversation <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's important to note that typically in in the literature on this topic there's there's three different approaches the first suggests that understanding relations between the two states should be viewed through a a traditional realist lens and that it's all about power it's all about power politics and that identity religion economics doesn't really matter it's it's just about the accumulation of power and the projection of power across the region and and that's that's how we should view it uh, the second one is is more of a of an identity based approach. It's all about religion. It's about mm. long standing quote unquote ancient hatreds with the the Saudi uh, Wahhabi approach to to religion to Islam, I should say, and the the Iranian Shia stance, and that's deeply problematic. It's simplistic, it's monolithic, it's orientalist, it's xenophobic, and it's static in its approach to relations between different faith communities. So, again, that's problematic. But the the approach that, that more people seem to have been taking in recent years is this sort of halfway house that says, look, power matters. The accumulation of power obviously matters, but so too do identities, and so too does religion. And putting all of this together gets a complex picture of the sort of positioning of religious identities within broader political aspirations of elites. And that's something that yeah. that uh, someone who doesn't feature in the book, but Larry Rubin, Lawrence Rubin, does really well in his book. Um, so if you want to explore that in a bit more detail, that's where you can, you can see that. But then the thing that is really interesting, I think, and this this builds on a new area of, of scholarship within the the sub sub discipline of Saudi Iranian studies. Is this idea of the spatial components, the spatial repercussions of the rivalry, and that it's not just a static rivalry across the region. It's not just the, the Saudis and the Iranians play out in the same way across Lebanon and Syria, Iraq and Yemen and Bahrain. It's not static but rather it's shaped by the complexities and contingencies of politics in those regions. But what that means is that it cracks open a whole host of other debates that you then have to engage with. And that's kind of, I think, where this volume finds a lot of traction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fully, fully agree, yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's really what we've tried to do by, you know, we, we've got people 
who are experts in in, in those particular um, uh, you know kind of case study countries, if you want to call, call them that. Although uh, you know they're, they're not just just empirical cases. You know, they are really interesting windows into how this is manifest in, in, in different ways. Um, you know, and that's why I guess you know just just to sort of step back from this a little bit and, and, and talk about you know what we're trying to do with this. We weren't wanting to impose a kind of rigid uh, you know theoretical methodological straitjacket on people when analyzing this and, and, and there of course are, are benefits for doing um, that if, if you want to have the sort of coherency um, but you know I, I think we wanted to have that um, that sort of freedom of approach and and and, and analysis which, which which pulls out those different strands you know that we're talking about so, yeah yeah it highlights the the complexity of it all I think and it, it allows people to to draw their own points of comparison between the the yeah. different states and the different approaches I think that's really really valuable yeah. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and one thing I guess we haven't mentioned it. I mean, we, we, we touched upon it briefly when, when you mentioned how, you know, uh, one approach is that kind of, it's all about religion approach, you know, the whole issue of, of sectarianism or sectarianization, the notion of that. I mean, we, you know, we try to stay away from being reductive and saying that rivalry is all about it, but it, it still carries a lot of weight in, in certain explanations of it, you know, and, and, you know the main venue for that that kind of uh, analysis is is the often you know cited again so-called proxy conflicts and we often put that in our discussions in inverted commas because that's you know uh, reductive and problematic um in, in its own right but you know the fact that the rivalry is manifested in in the cases that we look at in lebanon syria bahrain yemen iraq um you know bo- both states have, have certainly made use of you know sectarian affiliations at certain mm-hmm. times and there's there is always instrumentalization there but again that's not always been the case and this is why um uh, you know serious scholarly analysis into into th- th- these issues doesn't say that this is an immutable rivalry i mean you, you do get it in a lot of uh, more i would say <laughs> more kind of public facing media based analysis where it does reduce it I think everyone knows who you're talking it. about here Eddie everyone <laughs> yeah, okay, knows I'm trying to be diplomatic here <laughs> but you know that stuff still carries traction in policy services you know yeah, sadly so you know it is it is important to, to highlight that even if it even if we kind of uh, poo poo it a little bit and say oh that's not really serious but actually people listen to those um, those folks yeah. but um, you know uh, you know looking at the right uh, the relationship in a kind of broader sweep if we just you know go from from you know, 1979 onwards as an obvious uh, starting point. You know, that hasn't always been the case. Where, where was, where, where were these? You know, where was sectarianisation? Uh, you know, during that, say, during the 1990s when, when relations were good. You know, during the Khatami period. You know, um, those, those, those points um, where, where there was a, a rapprochement and stuff. You know, that that wasn't even a, a consideration. The discourses then were much more about. Um, you know about you know unity and 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 you know improving things for, for for the region as a whole and stuff. So, you know, it's manifested in different different ways. Um, uh, you know, and and you know, there's there's a really interesting point to this as well. Uh, you know, what would happen? You know, if if there was no Islamic Republic, you know, would there still be a Saudi Iran rivalry? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, already, uh, and, and but, but, you know, it's not it's not to say it wouldn't exist. Uh, it could well exist. These are two big regional powers that have competing interests, probably. So even, you know, in lieu of the Islamic Revolution, uh, the, sorry, the Iranian Revolution, nineteen seventy nine, never happening, and the Islamic Republic taking shape. You know, there, there, there was still being rivalry there. There was in the seventies. You know, um, uh, as, as well to, to a certain extent, and and even um, earlier you know, as it well. Might be, 
Uh, exactly, yeah, exactly. It might it might be a bit like the Saudi Turkey relationship now. I mean, I know we're, we're we're riffing here, and this is going away from the book a bit. But you know, you look at Saudi Arabia and Turkey at the moment. You know how how that's kind of vacillated between um, uh, you know uh, uh, kind of uh, hostility, all right, hostility, obviously, um, uh, and then and then a rapprochement now. So you know, we might we might have seen something like that, and it's taken us away from the book a bit. But I just think it's, it's always interesting just to show how these things they do they do vacillate they do shift and change over time yeah. and that's what makes it so interesting for me is that, you know there's a big big important regional and, and in some ways global actors that you know yeah exactly which has to be taken seriously yeah just on so that I'm point anyway no I, I think it's really valuable and really interesting because if you think about what what was happening in the 20s and 30s between the saudis and the the persian slash iranians um mm. you've got some really interesting stuff because at that point Iran slash Persia, depending on the the exact date, of course, was broadly sort of secular. I mean, religion was was kind of pushed to the margins, right? But because of the the social capital, to bring a bit of Bourdieu here, of the the clerics, when there was broader um, anti Shia issues and tensions in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia the Shah was forced to condemn it. And that, so there were points of tension based on yeah. um, on religious factors. But the nature of that is conditioned by the complexities of time and space. So I think that, that thought experiment about the absence of an Islamic Republic is valuable and interesting. But it also, yeah. I think, points to the importance of chapter three in this book. There's a smooth segue there. Um, which nice. is my colleague Luciera Davini's <laughs> chapter, Competing Islam's Religious yeah. Legitimacy in the Foreign Policies of Saudi Arabia and Iran, which I think treats these questions in a in a nuanced way, whilst also continuing to uh, to highlight that religion matters. Right? We shouldn't yeah. view it yeah, instrumentally. Yeah. Religion matters, no, but no. it matters in different ways because of the complexities of of, of state building, of state capacity, of of spatial politics, of, of temporal politics, and all of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it does. It does that, and, and it, it, it's so interesting when you take the religious point. You know, if we, if we look at the the, the chapter that um, uh, on on the view from Tehran that I, that I co-authored with Banasha Kainush. You know, we 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 mention religion uh, um, as a as a factor in there, but you know, as as something that can be a venue for diplomacy, obviously, with the organisation of. Islamic uh, conference, mm-hmm. um, your cooperation is, is now um, in, in there um, uh, as a space for um, you know diplomatic um, engagement. So um, you know it's not just sort of again it's it's saying yes religion religion matters, but not just in the deep rooted sectarian animosity sense. That there's there's points of, of um, you know uh, opportunities for diplomatic engagement in there, but at the same time it it, it can be completely irrelevant if we look at. Um, at um, made Darwish's chapter, which is the, essentially the view from Riyadh. Um, she does this uh, excellent neoclassical um, realist analysis of of, um, of of the kind of Saudi view of, of, of regional politics and, and, and the relationship with Iran. But is, is that's really about this kind of very muscular nationalism that, that's come on um, in, in Saudi Arabia in, in the last sort of 10 years or so, as well, certainly since, since MBS is the centre power. And that's, you know, it, it, it's it's sort of absent in a sense there in, in, if we're just looking at um, those internal, those domestic factors, you know, as well. It's, it's very different. It's, this is about, um, you know, uh, sort of Saudi nationalism, which is in which religion can play a part, but it's, you know, almost absent in that, in that regard. So, um, you know, it's, it's re- really interesting to see how that, that, that role of, of religion sort of chops and changes, again, depending on, on, on the analytical 
foci of what you're you know what you're looking at yeah yeah i think that's that's really valuable um moving to to bahrain and we've got this wonderful chapter by Rashid al-Rashid titled The Iran-Saudi Rivalry, Rekindling of Shia Loyalty and Sunni Fears in Bahrain. I think that does exactly what you've been getting at there in the sense that it looks at the interplay of, of religion and politics, but it looks at the sort of the second order consequences, if you will, mm. of the yeah. politicization or the sectarianization of tensions and of politi- political life. There's all this work of, um, of of people like Toby Matisson and others who are looking at the sectarianization of the Bahraini Shia. But what Rashid's chapter does really well and in a really interesting way is look at the consequences of that for the Sunni community. So people who aren't being yeah. securitized, who aren't being sectarianized, but who are becoming increasingly worried about this. So it's the, the knock-on consequences and implications of what's actually going on in the realm of high politics yeah yeah exactly yeah so how it yeah how it's uh it yeah it directly impacts on those yeah those intercommunal relations or people's fears or, or sense of you know security or insecurity yeah absolutely and i think he does that really well and he has great access obviously um to uh, the people that he interviewed in that chapter as well so it's, it's, it's i think a really good contribution that one definitely yeah, it's yeah. really valuable and some really fascinating insight from his uh, from his interviews, um, wide ranging range of, uh, of of interviews with with a whole host of people across Bahrain. But I think the really important thing from that chapter and something I really appreciate in in Rashid's work more broadly is the focus on people and that we can spend yeah. hours talking about the the rivalry between these two states in the abstract at the sort of the realm of high politics and the the focus on on these really powerful elites but what Rashid's chapter does is it it hammers home that this has everyday implications for people yeah 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 absolutely we're absolutely. not just yeah, dealing absolutely. with the abstract it's, it's here great. we're dealing with people's lives yeah yeah definitely definitely um yeah and so I'm, I'm really glad we had that you know that his approach, his field work here to, to contribute to this because it gives it a different angle. I think you know a lot of I mean, a lot of the, what we're talking about here, like you say, is is, is at the geostrategic level and it's how it impl- impacts on on kind of elite, more elite level politics or or, or conflict, you know, um, in, in some of the cases. But uh, yeah, it's definitely good to have that more um, people focused um, uh, element to that. Definitely, it's something that that Steve Royal and I try and do in the Iraq chapter. Um, yeah, Steve yeah. being based in, in Baghdad for, for the past decade or so, he's done a, a whole host of really fascinating stuff out there and sort of diving into the the engagement of this rivalry on Iraq's Sunni community and the tribal groups and the, the way that these groups are positioned within the state and sort of trapped in some ways by the nature of the, the political environment in the the broader contours of this rivalry sort of been forced to to accept the nature of it and the 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 support of of the saudis let's say for the sunni community because they have nowhere else to turn Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's that's why it's really interesting it's got that focus on anbar province obviously yeah um but but you know again it it just as with all these things it, it complexifies it because you know you have you know um popular mobilization units that you know involved there that may be loosely affiliated with Iran but um you know are, are still active and, and um 
you know, not necessarily carrying out Iran's doing in those areas as well. But yeah, there, there are other others, um, you know, leaders who, who are kind of uh, turning more towards um, those, those kind of Saudi efforts to enhance relations there as well. So um, it, every every sort of more empirically focused chapter in this is, is just brilliant for that because you, it shines new light on on, on the dynamics at play, which, um, which I'm, I'm really, really proud of, actually, and really grateful for, because we've got some really good contributions, you know, across the board and with, with the other cases as well. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I like about the Iraqi case is that it, it highlights the evolution of this rivalry slash relationship and how, how it's not static. Because post-2003, which is maybe a little bit before the, the focus of the book, but post-2003, Iraq was was dominated by Iran. Iraqi politics was was dominated by uh, individuals with relationships to Iran, mm. many of whom had, had sought refuge in Iran during uh, the, the Saddam era. And over recent years, that started to evolve in part because of the anger at the, the Iranian influence and endemic corruption. All corruption seems to be endemic these days. Have you noticed that as a tangent? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Just well across the board, it's not it's not unique certainly yeah. to, to what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's there's all of this anger and frustration, and I think what's what's quite interesting intellectually at least is the evolution of the Saudi position, who've sensed an opportunity to try and increase their influence in Iraq. So I think that's quite an interesting yeah. component to it in highlighting the evolution of the of the rivalry, the relationship, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, again, I, uh, so I've done this a few times today, but tangent to this, but it just reminds <laughs> me of, of something. And, and I'm not trying to plug my own research here, but I'm going to anyway. Well, you should. <laughs> because do you remember we, we did this uh, great workshop um, uh, alongside with, with um, in conjunction with, with POMIPS, um, in fact, our last sort of in-person workshop just before the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, we uh, were looking at, you know, different manifestations of, of the Iran-Saudi rivalry in different different spaces. And we, um, I, I did a little piece on Iran-Saudi rivalry as it pertains to Central Asia. It's just a small piece and something I would love to return back to. But that point you made there about that kind of um, Saudi sensing what opportunities are available um, it, it played out in a very similar way in, in Central Asia, certainly in, in terms of Tajikistan, um, which um, you know is not a, a country that we focus a lot on in, in our project, but uh, it's obviously a place that um, has been subject to Iranian influence, um, um, you know, since, since independence, and have had a good relationship. And then there's a rupture in ties, and Saudi Arabia saw an opportunity there and, and kind of moved in to fill that void in during that little rupture of ties. So it, it's quite interesting to see how you know. Beyond, beyond the region, you know that 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 similar pattern was 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 experienced there mm-hmm. as well, which um which is which is quite neat. Yeah. So there you've yeah, got this interesting. <laughs> no, not at all. I think it's valuable because it it highlights the interplay between levels of analysis, and also yeah. the the interplay between the sort of the granular local politics, and the the more high faluted, if you will, um, elite yeah. politics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, elite politics, though, you know, really important. I mean, you know, we, we uh, those, those kind of uh, more granular things are good, but, you know, in some of the other chapters, you know, I think especially the Lebanese chapter, there has to be that kind of uh, elite focus. Uh, that was a wonderfully um, smooth segue there. Yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> I learned from the best. <laughs> so, yeah, I call it Hussein Kalut. He, he, you know, shows that... Um, 
how the rivalry impacts on and Lebanon's an obvious case for this, you know, because of the very, very tangible, very visible in many ways, you know, um, influence, um, obviously, on, on, on the different actors in the Lebanese um, political scene, too. So that's why I think that. You know, it's really nice to have that different level of analysis there. Um, in 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 that case as well, uh, you know, he refers to it as as this uh, Lebanon as an irreplaceable piece in the foreign <laughs> policy chessboard of those competing uh, ambitions, which are, which I really like. I mean, you know, arguably it it still remains irreplaceable. I think for Iran, you know, Saudi Arabia has had its you know you know issues with 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 its uh proteges there should i say in, in the country as well which um you know causing problems but um it, it's uh really interesting to see how that impacts on um you know well well the, the sort of the impact it has on, on, on lebanese sovereignty really you know yeah. it, it sort of plays into that doesn't it and it, it poses some really important questions about that as well which i think um, the chapter does really well yeah i think so and as as someone who's got this wonderful body of, of interview data behind him, high level interviews because of his his former position and, and dare I say future position given oh, um, yeah. Viva Lula, <laughs> given we are recording this the day after um, Mr. Bolsonaro was unceremoniously booted out. Sad day, um, but he's got this this wonderful uh, this wonderful data set of of interviews with a veritable who's who, if you will, of of Lebanese politics, and all of that feeds into his um, his engagement with these questions. So it's really really wonderful. Um, we've got two other chapters then, Eddie, uh, yeah, and I think have. there's an interesting yeah. point of similarity here with Chris and Maria Louise in the. Sort of viewing of, of Syria and Yemen as, as arenas. Mm, yeah, yeah, much more, so, much more yeah, overtly, I would say, you know, especially obviously, you know, we're talking about complex situations in both. Um, there are some, some parallels there, um, but very different manifestations and, mm. and you know, um, uh, avenues for influence. Um, so they're, 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 quite, they're quite nice points of comparison, actually, as well, for anyone who wanted to look at the you know, comparing those two conflicts, um, comparative studies, these two chapters would provide a really good uh, basis for that. I mean, I like Chris. Chris is again like like May. He he adopts this this sort of neoclassical realist um, analysis, which I think you know seems to be gaining a lot of traction actually in 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 in, in our kind of field. Uh, and I can see why because obviously it, it marries those two. Um, elements, you know, of, of, of the ideational and, and the material, which I, I think are, are very evident, um, certainly in, you know, in, the, in the Syrian um, uh, case. Um, so I think, you know, he, that that's a really kind of solid um, ex- explanation and, and a way of sort of explaining that the comparative success of Iran vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia in this, you know, because obviously we see this Saudi uh, withdrawal certainly compared to the Iranian extent of influence in that in that particular theatre or, or, or arena. Um then you know, then there's a, the flip side of it is obviously in, in Maria Louise Classen's chapter, which you know, in a way, it, it, it does it sort of flips it. You know, we have much more overt Saudi involvement and you know Iranian uh, involvement, kind of being opportunistic in, in, in a sense. You know, and, and, and capitalising on on uh, a, a way in. Uh, to, uh, to to you know uh, destabilise or or have a destabilising presence on on, on Saudi's uh, southern flank, you know, um, which which, uh, which is she utilises this notion of sunk cost effect, which which again is is, is a neat uh, way of explaining it. So you know it explains why Saudi Arabia can't 
extricate itself, you know, and Iran's done so in, in a relatively low-cost way. Um, so that's, um, that, that, that's a really interesting chapter as well. Yeah, I think so. And there's some really interesting points about the use of religion and sectarian affinity mm. within these two chapters as well. Um, again, in, in interesting yeah. comparative ways. So I think they, they yeah. would do well to be to be read read alongside one another to really aid the I analysis. So. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and obviously, you know, these these are you know again if, if if you're reducing everything to well, this is you know Iran supporting Shia proxies or Shia militias, you know, as we always hear, which is which gets so frustrating because so reductive. Well, you know. Obviously, <laughs> you, Syria's uh, Shia population, in terms of, of the ter- to twelve Shia is uh, Shias, and um, as it's practiced in Iran, is, is obviously tiny, you know. And so the, the way that, that that's been framed in, in terms of um, Shiism is, is very different um, to what you might have experienced with with Iran's um, activities in Iraq. You know, it, yeah. it's not the same, and it's the same with it's the same with with the, with the Houthi as well. You know, Houthi, exactly. Um, you know, essentially a different sector. I mean, everyone listening to this will, will know this. I'm, I'm not, not saying anything new here, but, you know, it's important, again, just because I think, you know, I'd like to hope, I'd hope anyway, that this is the kind of book which will have some, I mean, we all say this, don't we, in our uh, um, pitches when we're, when we're pitching <laughs> books and volumes like this, that it's going to have policy relevance, but this, this does, you know, and I mean, you know, it, it comes from a policy briefing, and, you know, and it, and it is of interest to policymakers, but, you know, one of the issues I have is that there's so much recourse to this kind of reductive logic of, yeah, it, these are just Iran supporting Shia militias or this is Saudi, you know, uh, supporting Sunni this or whatever. And it's so much more than that. And and these are examples, you know, are replete with, um, uh, with the complexity and, 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 you know, reducing it all to just a mere sectarian affiliation, I think, you know, can be can be problematic. So I think that's a really good yeah. way of, of giving the elevator pitch for the book, if you weren't. <laughs> this sense that yeah. <laughs> this rivalry isn't just about Iran supporting Shia militias or Shia proxies, yeah. which is the lazy, uh, essentialist, orientalist, xenophobic um, way that we, we see it framed so many times. And I saw it again yeah. today. But rather, it's got this uh-huh. this more nuanced way of looking at transnational, trans um, transregional, Mm-hmm. sets of of relationships between actors that may share the same sectarian affinity but those relationships yeah. are conditioned by the complexities of time and space and i think that's a that's a really yeah. good way that you put it far better than than i tried to summarize it but hopefully ah, people have yeah. got the message <laughs> yeah yeah i hope so <laughs> yeah eddie we've been talking for for a while now so i i guess we need to to wrap this up but there's there's two things that i think we need to do before we uh, we do um, we'll call mm-hmm. this. The first is to give a plug to the the launch event. Of course. So absolutely. we're launching this in the Palace of Westminster, which seems somewhat symmetrical and appropriate. Mm, definitely. And that's going to be on the 6th of December. It is indeed. Fantastic. So we'll share all the details about that and people are welcome to come in and join us and, and listen to us and others reflect on the the book and its broader um it's, it's broader uses for for everyone really and the second everyone exactly <laughs> everyone yeah uh, the second thing <laughs> is a set of thanks 
So obviously we Absolutely. need to thank um, Rob Byron at MUP, our wonderful series editor, and all the other folks there who've helped pull together a, a fantastic series, even if I do say so myself. And if oh, you're going to oh. judge a book by a cover, then please judge this by its cover, because again, it's <laughs> yeah. excellent. Yeah, we love we lo- we love the uh, the ser- this is part of the series that that, that we uh, you know co-edit along with with Made Irish and yeah they they all have a theme but uh, you know the the, the, um, the cover art is, is great and they, they have a shared theme but we we're able to play with them and we we did something funky with this one which I'm really happy with actually. yeah, so, yeah they are hitting it out of the park <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so thank you to everyone at MUP and then last but certainly not least I guess we need to thank all of our our contributors. Absolutely, yeah. So, they, they really. This is this is this is all of our work together. You know, we just we we merely topped and tailed it and brought it together. Exactly. Um, and you know, um, but it's it, it's it's their excellent work which really makes this. And and yeah, we're ever so grateful. So thank you, guys. So thank you, Maida Ruiz. Thank you, Banafshi Kenush. Thank you, Lucia Radovini. Thank you, Rashid Al Rashid. Thank you, Stephen Royal. Thank you, Saint Kalu. Thank you, Christopher Phillips. Thank you, Maria Louise Clausen. Really is a, a who's who of of the Middle Eastern IR, isn't it? We've got some really great names yeah. there. So thank you. Yeah, nice, nice hearing that all reeled off like that. Yeah, yeah, well and impressive. thank you, Eddie, <laughs> as well. It's been an yeah, absolute likewise. pleasure. And you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. It's been been great. And this has been fun as well. So uh, hopefully this has uh, prompted you to, to go and get hold of a copy of the book or to, to get hold of the open access version when it's out. But uh, it'd be great to hear any feedback. As always, do get in touch. Do let us know. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>